want you to take your Bibles tonight, if you will, and turn to the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter number two. Let me say just a word about the, the Multiply Conference that we just made mention of, and, uh, I, and I, I don't think there's anybody in this room, but maybe somebody says, preacher, you know, I mean, is it like we need one more thing to do here at, at Calvary? And, uh, and no, it's not, it's really not. And I'm going to be honest with you, this, this, uh, multiply conference is going to be tons of work for me. And I'm sure it's, it's going to be tons of work for some, some of you as well. But, uh, you know, for, for years now, you know, years ago, we used to go every, every year we used to go to pastor school. We used to take some of our men and we would go to pastor school. And then of course, pastor school, um, you know, stopped. And, uh, and I just, I've noticed that the, that the pastors and workers conferences are getting less and less and less. And so then we, you know, then we flew to, uh, to Lancaster, California and took in the spiritual leadership conference. I think Justin and Kristen went this last year and, and, um, and it's been several years since we've been, been there for that. And it's a great conference and I absolutely endorse going out there, but, but it just seems like they're getting less and less and less. I had mentioned it to some pastors, to some fellow pastors about, hey, why don't we get something started? Let's do something, you know? And, uh, and evidently, maybe it's just something that the Lord had not, just hadn't laid on their heart. And, uh, and I thought, well, you know what? We're going to do it then. And, uh, and so that's, that's what it's about. And I was thinking about this too. Wouldn't it be a blessing? I don't know. I, this thought just came to me. But I thought, wouldn't it be a blessing if some of our live stream family that doesn't ever get to be with us in service could come down for the conference? Wouldn't that be great? So all of our live stream folks, I'm putting a bug in your ear right now, all right? So you got plenty of time to plan, and uh, we would love that. I think that would be great. Well, I want you to take your Bibles and turn over to Colossians chapter number two. And, uh, and when you find your place, um, i tell you what. You better stand because <laughs> you'll be asleep in 10 minutes if I don't make you stand, all right? And uh, hey, we'll, we'll just, uh, we're not going to be long tonight. Music service went fairly quickly tonight. We're going to have you out of here in plenty of time. We won't have you out of here late at all tonight. And so, but I hope you'll hang in there with us just for a little bit tonight as we talk about should New Testament Christians keep the Sabbath? Um, wh what's that about? Why do we not keep the Sabbath at Calvary Baptist Church? I know of some people who keep the Sabbath, Pastor. Why do we not do that? Why do we not observe the Sabbath? We're going to talk to you a little bit about that tonight. Colossians chapter 2 in your Bibles, and look at verse number 8. <clears throat> the Bible says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also ye are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, uh, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. 
Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. Let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding the head from which all the body by joints and bands, having nourishment ministered and knit together, increaseth with the increase of God. We'll stop there tonight. You may be seated. And let's talk about this subject of uh, keep the Sabbath, don't keep the Sabbath. Uh, why do some churches keep the Sabbath? Why do we not keep the Sabbath at Calvary Baptist Church? Uh, what, what is that all about? Where does it even come from? Um, and so we're going to talk to you about all that tonight. And, uh, and so let's go to the Lord and ask the Lord to, to uh, teach us his word tonight. And we'll jump right into this this evening. Father, we love you. Thank you so much for the privilege of being back at Calvary. Lord, thank you for the wonderful music service and, and song service. Lord, the congregation sound, sounded so good singing. And then, Lord, we thank you for this beautiful special. I'm so glad for the day that Jesus passed by my way. And, Lord, my life's never been the same because of that. Oh, Heavenly Father, we pray. And uh, best, we know, uh, best we know how, we agree together tonight. Pray you'd make a hedge around this place. Heavenly Father, we understand something. We need your protection. God, we need your touch. We need your preservation. God, we need you tonight. And, uh, Lord, we understand that uh, Lord, what Brother Hall preached just a few days ago is very true that, Lord, the powers of darkness are not enthused about what is going on here. And Lord, they will do anything to try to defeat this work and distract this work. And so, Heavenly Father, I'm glad that I can report greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And so I pray tonight that you would bind the powers of darkness. And Lord, I pray that you would help this work to continue on like a mighty army uh, Lord, onward Christian soldier. And Father, I pray that we would accomplish much for the cause of Jesus. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that we would remain faithful until the coming of the Lord. Help us not to stumble. Help us not to fall. But God, help us to be faithful. Now, Lord, I pray that you'd help thy word to come alive in our hearts and minds. And Lord, what you've given me in study, I pray now, would be conveyed in an understandable and an in, even an interesting way more than anything in a way that's gonna honor you and glorify you. Fill us with your spirit. We love you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray and for his sake and all God's people said, amen. Well, I love answering the questions of our people. And, um, and one of our folks was talking to me the other day and evidently had had a, a conversation with somebody in the uh, Seventh-day Adventist church. By the way, nice folks. And this is not a... You know, this is not a message to try to slam people in the Seventh-day Adventist church, but it, is, uh, but it is a message to try to make sure that we understand what we believe and why we believe it. There is a reason for that, by the way. Um, and one of the things that was brought up, I think, was that they, had church, uh, they attend church on Saturday uh, because they, uh, they recognize Saturday as the Sabbath. So here's the question, are the Seventh-day Adventists right? Uh, uh, as far as attending church on the Sabbath, or are we right? Well, you say, preacher, nobody's right. No, somebody's right. The Bible is right. And so, uh, you know, we have to be real careful. Now, we're not better. We're not better. So we're not better than anybody. 
Uh, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. No man stand higher than I. I can call on uh, Jesus' name and the king can do the same. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. And so we're not better, we're not better, but this book is right. And so we have to be real careful about saying, well, you know what, nobody's right. We're all right. No, we're not all right. Uh, we have to base what we believe not on a movement or not on a denomination or not on a preacher. Did y'all hear that? Not on a preacher. Not on a pastor. Not on an evangelist. We have to base what we believe on this book right here. Plus nothing, minus nothing. And so we're going to talk about that a little bit tonight. I thought this would be a, this might be a help to you. You know, anytime you're studying a teaching or a movement, it's always, in my opinion, it's always helpful to understand where they got their start. And so where did the, the, the Seventh-day Adventist group, where did they get their start? They seem like very nice people, and they are, by the way. And you may work with some, and you may know some. You may have some in your family. And, uh, and I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, there are times when they seem very similar to what we believe and what we teach and what we preach. And uh, let me tell you part of the reason for that. Well, the Seventh-day Adventist movement originally started with a Baptist and his name was William Miller. William Miller. This has been many, many years ago, back in the 1800s. And uh, William Miller. And, um, and uh, William Miller uh, began to study the Bible and began to preach the Bible. And, 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 and more and more people began to follow him. In fact, his group of followers became known as what was known as the Millerites. The Millerites. And William Miller began to study the Bible and especially he began to study the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation. And he became very, very interested in, uh, in prophecy. And William Miller became convinced that there was gonna be a literal, a literal return of Jesus Christ. By the way, we believe that too. We believe that there's gonna be a literal return of Jesus Christ. Well, he began to go on and study and he just got to that place where he felt like he knew the scripture so intimately and so good that he felt like, man, that he could even go ahead and predict a date. I mean, he knew that the Lord was coming and he got so confident that he said, listen, I not only know the Lord is coming, I know when he's coming. Well, church, the Bible says no man knows the day. And so you better be real careful when somebody stands up and says, man, I know so much about the Bible, I know when he's coming. Well, that's a problem. And so William Miller said this. He said that it is without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is going to return on October the 22nd, 1844. It's coming. He's coming. October the 22nd, 1844, Jesus is coming. And so his followers, boy, they, uh, I mean, they, you know, begin to sell things and they begin to prepare and uh, they begin to, you know, go out and tell other people, you better get ready, Jesus is coming. Well, that part was right, Jesus is coming. And, uh, but they said, he's not only coming, he's coming on October the 22nd, 1844, he's coming, he's coming, you better be ready, he's coming. And uh, well, sure enough, you know the rest of the story, don't you? October 22nd, 1844 came, but Jesus didn't. And so a lot of the Millerites, a lot of the Millerites thought, whoa, wait a minute, time out. 
And this, this man's been telling us that the Lord is coming. He's coming on a certain day. We trusted him. We believed in him. And, uh, and, and, and the Lord uh, did not come. And so because of that, a lot of those that were considered Millerites begin to leave the movement and they begin to leave William Miller's teaching. But there were some, there were some, even though the Lord did not come uh, on October the 22nd, there were some that continued to follow the teachings of Miller. And uh, they not only followed his teachings, but they began to organize uh, uh, better. And they began to organize into study groups and conferences. And they began to come together. And eventually, eventually, there was a, a woman that rose to prominence. Her name was Ellen G. White. And this is what the Adventists believed before they became Adventists. They were more considered Millerites. They were Adventists. But they thought that that God had given Ellen G. White, they thought that God had given her a special revelation. God had spoke to her personally. In fact, they labeled her as a prophetess. She was a prophetess. And so uh, Ellen G. White and her husband began to lead the Millerites. And uh, eventually they became known as what was uh, what we know today is the Seventh-day Adventist church. Now, let me give you three thoughts, three words by way of introduction tonight that we see right here in Colossians chapter two that'll help us concerning what we just heard. The first word is the word beguile. Now, look at Colossians chapter two in your Bibles. I want you to look at verse number four, Colossians chapter two, verse four. Now, the, now Colossians two actually use this word twice, and I'm going so fast because I've got so much I want to give you tonight. And when I start going really fast, I start getting my words all messed up. And, uh, but the word is beguile. Colossians chapter two and verse number four. Paul said to the church of Colossae, and this I say, lest any man should, there's the word, beguile you. Lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. And so the word beguile there means to misreckon. The word reckon is actually an accounting term, to reckon. Well, the word beguile means to misreckon. In other words, it's someone who does not reckon correctly. They don't account correctly. It's what the Bible's saying there. And what our Bible is teaching us is this, and this is what Paul is saying to the church of Colossae. Don't allow someone to deceive you just because they're a smooth talker. That's what he's saying. Don't allow someone to beguile you. Don't allow somebody to misreckon you and get you all messed up just because they know how to speak. Listen, folks, a lot of folk know how to speak. That doesn't mean you ought to follow them. In fact, our Bible says this in 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And uh, again, so many things to say here tonight, and I don't have time to say it all, but, but uh, we, we've been talking about this in our Sunday school class. You never take one seemingly controversial uh, verse and build your doctrine on that. We're con we're, we are commanded to rightly divide the scripture. So if you find a verse and you think, wow, that verse seems sort of controversial. You know what you do? You compare that verse with many other scriptures. So the Holy Spirit can show you exactly what that verse is saying. Now, 1 John 4, 1 says it like this, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God. Listen, I give you permission like you need it, but I give you absolute permission. In fact, I encourage you to go home and check out every single thing that's preached from this pulpit. You check it out from the word of God. Check it out. 
You say, Pastor, you serious about that? As a heart attack, serious as a heart attack. You go home and uh, write down the, the references I give you and the verses I give you and the notes I give you and go home and you study it out for yourself. Uh, listen, I can't think of anything better than for you to go home and rightly divide the scriptures yourself. And so Paul says to the church of Colossae, listen, don't let a man beguile you. Don't let somebody misreckon you just because they've got a silver tongue. But there's a second word. And it's the word beware. Look at it. Colossians chapter two, verse eight. Not only beguile, but verse number eight, Paul says, beware. Lest any man spoil you through, the philosophy, through philosophy and vain deceit. After, look at this part, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. We're challenged to beware. And that word, that word beware there just means this, to have the power of understanding. So, so Paul says to the church of Colossae, I want you to understand, listen, hey, don't be swayed just because somebody has a silver tongue. He said, I want you to have the power of understanding. I want you to beware. I want you to make sure that nobody spoils you. It's the idea of a fall or, or the idea of sojourning away from the will of God. Uh, I don't want them to spoil you th uh, through philosophy or vain deceit. Look at this now. Based on the tradition of men and the rudiments of the world. Now, what is a tradition? A tradition is simply something we've always done. But what is a rudiment? So Paul says, listen, beware. There are gonna be some people that are gonna try to reel you in uh, over traditions, things that they just always done. Nobody knows why they do it, but it's something they've always done. And so they're gonna tell you, if you don't do this, you're not right because you don't do it. They don't have any Bible to back it up with, but it's a tradition. But then he says rudiments. What is a rudiment? Well, the word rudiment there just simply means first things. In other words, people started doing something when the movement started and they just never stopped it. And so it's not necessarily something that needs to be done anymore, but since it's a rudiment, they make it a requirement. And so the rudiment becomes a requirement. Well, let me see if I can illustrate that point just a little bit and I think this will be helpful, helpful to you. So there was a mom and she was uh, trying to teach her daughter, you know, uh, how to prepare a ham. And she said, honey, she said, come in here. And she said, I'm gonna give you the family recipe. And she said, it's been handed down for many generations. And uh, I'm gonna show you how uh, my mother prepared the ham and how her mother prepared the ham. And, and, uh, and so she uh, got the ham out, got it all cleaned up. And then she took a meat cleaver and man, she just whacked off the end of it and she threw it away. And the daughter said, well, mom, first of all, why did you just whack the end of the ham off, throw it away? She said, honey, you have to do that. And she said, okay, but why? She said, oh, honey, she said, we've always done it that way. If, if the ham's gonna turn out, you've got to do that. I mean, we've always done, I mean, if it's gonna cook up right and, and be right, I mean, you've gotta, yeah, listen, that's the way my mama taught me to do it and her mama taught her to do it and, uh, and that's the way you do it. And, <laughs> and so the daughter said, well, okay, all right. 
Well, you know what? Great-grandma was still living. She's way up in age. I mean, man, she was way up there with Methuselah, but she was still living. They had her over here in a little assisted care living or nursing home or something like that. And one of the great-granddaughters made a visit over to the, the nursing home and, and visited with her great-grandma. And I mean, she was just, I mean, uh, she was up there, brother. I mean, she was way out there. And, uh, and, uh, and this great-granddaughter began to talk to great-grandma. And she said, you know, great-grandma, she said the other day, she said, mom was teaching me how to, you know, how the, the family, you know, makes cooked ham. And, and she said, oh, yeah, honey, yeah. And she said, you know, mom whacked the end of it off. And, and she said, threw the end of it away. And she said, she said great-grandma, she said, why did your mom, uh, uh, your, your mom's mom, why did she, you know, why, why did they whack the, the ham off? And she said, oh, honey. She said, great-grandma was so poor. She said, she didn't even have a pot big enough to put a big ham in. And so she just whacked off the end so it fit. Now all these, all these generations, man, they've been wasting good ham. You know why? All over a tradition. Now, that's what the Bible's teaching us. You know, I heard about this, uh, I heard about this evangelist and he, he was carrying on a meeting at a church his first night and, and they had a pretty good crowd and that was a nice place, you know, and, and, uh, and uh, they had the, the music service and he got up to start preaching and, and sort of, you know, just getting started into his message and just about the time he's getting started, I mean, honestly, he had two sections in this church and the right side and the left side stood up at the same time and the right side moved over to the left side and the left side moved over to the right side. I mean, while the service was going on. And the evangelist thought, wow, never seen that before. <laughs> he just kept trying to preach. I mean, it was terribly distracting. And he just kept trying to preach and did the best he could. Well, after the service, he, you know, he went to the pastor and he said, you know, pastor said, you know, said, uh, I noticed in the course of the service, you know, one side got up, moved over here this side, and this side got up, moved over this side. And, and he said, uh, I just wondered why y'all did that. He said, oh, pastor, said that's always been a tradition at this church. Always been a tradition at this church. Well, he, he just left it alone, you know, but somebody got inquisitive. And so they began to look back in, in some of the history of the church, and this is what they found, that Years and years and years and years and years ago when the church was just getting started, there was only one heating uh, element in the room and that was an old potbelly wood stove that was over here on the right side of the church. That's all they had. And so when it was wintertime and cold, what they would do was to make it fair, about halfway through the service, this side right here would get up and come to this side where it was warm and this side had to go suffer in the cold the rest of the service. Now, wait a minute now. Now they're in a modernized building, got heat pumps. I mean, they got modern day heat and all that kind of, but they're still doing what they've always done and nobody knows why they do it. And yet that's where we are today. A lot of people practice what they practice and here's, here's really the sad part about it. They don't know why they practice it. But it's always been done. It's a, it's a tradition. It's a rudiment. It's something that they've always done. It's just the way we've done it. And that's the way we're always going to do it. And uh, well, what Bible do you have? Well, we don't have any Bible, but that's the way we've always done it. And so we find the word beguile. We find the word beware. But, but re real quickly, then we find the words blotting out. Look at Colossians 2 verse 14. The Bible says blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. You know what Paul is saying? Listen, you don't have to worry about blotting out your own sins. You don't have to do works to blot out your own sins. Jesus took care of that. 
Now, let's, let's answer this question tonight. Why, why is it that we don't keep the Sabbath at Calvary Baptist Church? So let me give you a, a, a few biblical lessons concerning the Sabbath and concerning keeping the law tonight. How about this? Number one, it's good to notice a distinction. A distinction. Now, what do you mean, Pastor? Now, now follow me closely. When it comes to the law and when it comes to the Sabbath, there is a distinction in what is known as ceremonial law and moral law. Did you know that some parts of the Old Testament law are ceremonial while other parts are moral? Now, again, you say, preacher, there are still some things to this day that, that we do in America. You're exactly right. You're exactly right. Parts of the law that we still heed to to this day. And let me tell you why. Because those parts are parts of God's moral law. And I'll explain that in just a moment. The Sabbath day was not a part of the moral law. The Sabbath day was a part of the ceremonial law. And it was designed for a specific group of people, the Israelites specifically. But there are other parts of the law that are not ceremony, ceremonial, but rather they are moral law. Now listen, you say, okay, pastor, big deal. Yeah, it really is a big deal. You see, there's a difference between the ceremonial law and the, mor the moral law. Let me tell you why. Because God puts his moral law into the hearts of men and women. Even men and women who have never read a Bible. God puts their, his moral law into their heart. Now, can I show you that? We're talking about giving you scriptures. We need to give you scripture. And I've got way too much scripture to give you for this, but I'll at least give you one. And then I'll just, uh, I'll just uh, blurt out the references and you can jot them down. Romans chapter two. I want you to turn over there with me, if you will. Romans chapter two and look at verse number 14. So there's ceremonial law and then there's moral law. God puts his moral law into the hearts of men and women and boys and girls. We find that in Romans chapter two and verse number 14. Um, the Bible says, Romans two verse 14, for when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves. Verse 15, which show the work of the law written in their hearts their conscience also bearing witness and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. Now, let me tell you one thing that means. These, these people that are living in our generation that are absolutely as wicked as the day is long and they say that their sin doesn't bother them, it's not true. Unless their conscience has been seared. And God has turned them over to a reprobate mind. But if they've not reached that point, I can guarantee you one thing, God deals with them about their sin. You know why? Because ceremonial law and moral law, two different things. Uh, ceremonial law was something God established between Israel and God. Moral law is something that God puts into the heart of every man, woman, boy, and girl. Second, uh, Second Corinthians chapter three, verse three is another reference. Hebrews chapter eight, verse number 10 is another reference. Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 16 is another reference. Again, I just want you to understand we're not making this up. This is, this is Bible, what I'm giving you tonight. Now think about it. Let me give you an illustration of moral law. Did you know that when Cain, think about it, go way back to the Garden of Eden, right after the Garden of Eden, right after the fall, when Cain killed Abel, 
And God came to Cain and said, where's your brother? You remember what Cain did? He lied, didn't he? Let me read it for you. Uh, Genesis 4, verse number 9. And the Lord said unto Cain, where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? Wow, what a way to talk to God. I don't know where he is. Now, somebody says, well, wait a minute, preacher. Cain knew exactly where he was. He buried him in the ground. He knew where he was. He did know where he was. You know why Cain lied? By the way, did you know that Cain never had an opportunity like you to read a copy of the Bible? But Cain knew he did wrong. You know how he knew? God put his moral law in his heart. He knew when he killed his brother, he knew that he did it wrong. That's the difference between ceremonial law, moral law. How many remember when you were younger and uh, you were just getting started in Sunday school and man, you didn't know anything about the Bible. You couldn't quote the Bible, you know, the books of the Bible. Uh, you know, you didn't know a lot of Bible verses and things like that, but you, uh, uh, you, you can still remember this. You went into a store and you took something that you shouldn't have taken and you remember feeling guilty about that? You had never really read any scripture about that, about, you know, stealing and let him the stole steal no more, but let him work with his hands. And uh, you'd never read that scripture. And yet, yet when you took something that wasn't yours, it didn't belong to you, you felt bad about it. You know why? That's moral law. God puts his moral law into your heart. And so because of that, you have conviction, you have guilt, uh, you have feelings of guilt. Why? Because that is moral law, moral law. There's a difference in ceremonial law and moral law. Now, yesterday, Miss Tammy and I went out to eat and I looked at the menu and it said they had catfish. And I told that little lady, I said, hey, bring me that catfish. And she did, and I was a happy camper. And it was good. It was really good. Now, you know what? I ate that catfish, and I'm going to be honest with you. After I ate that catfish, I didn't feel a bit of regret. I didn't feel convicted. You know why? Ceremonial law. Did you know under ceremonial law that the Hebrew people were not allowed to eat catfish? They were not allowed to eat any fish that did not have scales. If it had skin, they were not allowed to eat it. It was ceremonial law. It was something that God established between himself and Israel. Ceremonial law, not moral law. He didn't put it in their heart, but it was written down as ceremonial law. And so I didn't feel a bit of regret or guilt, conviction. You know, the Holy Spirit didn't come and say, well, you, you never should have eaten that catfish. That's sin. He didn't do that. Man, it was good. I'm telling you, it was good. I thank the Lord for it. Before I ate it, I thanked the Lord for it. It was good. And uh, now, difference. There's a difference between moral law and ceremonial law. And so we notice a distinction, a distinction. The Sabbath day. Why do we not keep the Sabbath, preacher? Because the Sabbath was part of the ceremonial law between Israel and God. But there's another word. Number two, Scripture points out a display. Now, this is so important. This is so important. The Sabbath was displayed as a special covenant between God and the Israelites. But I, want you, I don't want you to take it for what I say. I want you to see it. 
okay? And so I want you to turn over to a few places, if you will. Turn over to uh, uh, Exodus chapter 31, first of all. Exodus chapter 31. We're making good time. We're going to have you out here at good time, so don't worry about the time tonight. Uh, just ask the Holy Spirit to teach you something this evening. Exodus chapter 31, and look at verse number 12. Now, we have to base what we believe on the Bible. Exodus 31, verse 12, the Bible says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak thou also unto thee, who? Unto the children of Israel, saying, Verily, man, it don't get any plainer than this church, Verily, my Sabbaths shall ye keep. Who did, his, who did, who did he just remark to? Israel. Verily my Sabbath ye shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that ye may know that I'm the Lord that, that does sanctify you. Ye shall keep the Sabbath therefore, for it is holy unto you. Do y'all think maybe the Lord is trying to make a point here? Everyone that defileth it shall surely be put to death. For whosoever doeth any work therein, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days may work be done, but in the seventh is the Sabbath of rest, holy to the Lord. Whosoever doeth any work in the Sabbath day, he shall surely be put to death. Look at verse 16. Wherefore, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations for a perpetual covenant. Look at verse 17. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel, church. That's almost humorous because the Lord, is, I believe the Lord is saying this. I don't want there to be any mistake about this. This is something I have set up between me and the children of Israel. This is ceremonial law. This is something that I want my people to do, my chosen people to do. This is between me and Israel, all right? Uh, turn, over to, uh, turn over to the book of Ezekiel. The book of Ezekiel. And look, if you will, at Ezekiel chapter number 20. Ezekiel chapter number 20. And look at verse number 12 with me. Ezekiel chapter 20 and verse number 12. Find your place, say amen. All right. Ezekiel 20 verse 12. The Bible says, moreover, also I gave them my Sabbaths to be a sign between me and them <laughs> that they may know that I am the Lord that sanctify them. If you want another reference, I'll give you another one. How about Deuteronomy chapter five, verse 15? You don't have to go there. You can go there later in your devotions. But Deuteronomy five, verse number 15. And so we see a distinction. We see a display. Scripture points out a display that the Sabbath was between God and the Israelites. The Sabbath is not something that Calvary Baptist Church is supposed to keep. It was something between God and Israel. But let me show you something else. And I think this one is also very, very, very important. Number three, after careful study, we see a discrepancy. A discrepancy. What do you, what do you mean, Pastor? Now listen to what I'm about to say. Most people who teach that we're supposed to keep the Sabbath don't. So most of the people, most, who come to and say, yeah, we keep the Sabbath, most do not. Now, 
You say, Pastor, what do you mean? Well, this is what our Bible teaches, that if you and I are going to keep the law, we've got to keep it all. You cannot, and there's no place in Scripture where you can pick and choose the parts that you want to keep. That if you're going to keep the law, if you're going to keep the law, then you've got to keep it all. You find that in James chapter 2 and verse number 10. James chapter 2 verse 10. The Bible says, for whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. Now, I don't know where you are in your scriptures right now, but turn over to Galatians chapter five. And as, I was, uh, the, as the Lord was giving this to me, hey, he pointed out Galatians chapter five to me. And I just, I thought this was interesting. And I thought I'd point it out to you tonight. Galatians chapter five. And, and again, this is what the Bible is saying, that if we're gonna keep the law, if we're gonna keep it, then you gotta keep it all. You can't just say, well, you know what? We're gonna keep this part and we're not gonna do this and we're gonna keep this part. And we're gonna let that go. No, no, no. If you're gonna keep the law, you gotta keep it. According to scripture, you've got to keep it. Now, look at Galatians chapter five, verse one. Paul says to the church of Galatia, and by the way, they're having the same exact problem in, in the church of Galatia. Uh, 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 false teachers are trying to come in and they're trying to corrupt these young Christians in the church and they're trying to bring them back under the law again. And so Paul writes to the church of Galatia in Galatians five, verse one, and he says this, stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. And be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. He's talking about the law. He said, behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if ye be circumcised, we know this circumcision was a sign between God and the Israelites. Paul, I, Paul, say unto you that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the what? If you're going to keep part of it, you've got to keep it all. And most of those people who tell you we keep the Sabbath, most don't. In fact, I uh, took the liberty of just looking into the, and, I, and here again, I'm not saying these folks aren't sweet, nice, and, and by the way, some of them are probably just as saved as you and I are. But if you're depending on keeping the Sabbath for your salvation, that's a problem. So just looking at this is an example. This, this is an example of how the Sabbath is observed by an Adventist. What, is, what, what do Seventh-day Adventists do on the Sabbath? The Sabbath begins at sunset on Friday evening and ends at sunset on Saturday evening according to the Bible. Sabbath is the most beautiful time of the week. At sunset on Friday, we welcome the Sabbath with family worship. We sing, pray, and thank God for the blessings and challenges of the work week. In our home, we light a candle after worship and extinguish it after family worship on Saturday evening. We prepare for the Sabbath. We prepare our meals and have our clothes for church ready for Sabbath. On Saturday morning, we go to church. Uh-oh. On Saturday morning, we go to church. Sabbath school lasts for an hour. And then we have congregational worship. We sing, read the scripture, hear a sermon. We always look forward to lunch as it is always a special meal. We invite friends over for lunch and fellowship. In the afternoon, there are options of Bible class, visitations of the sick or shut-ins, taking a walk in nature. 
Then we close the Sabbath with family worship, giving thanks to God, our creator, and our sustainer for the time spent with him. Sabbath is a happy day, a day to focus on God, for he's our creator and what he is always doing for us. He deserves our worship. I love every Sabbath. You say, preach, that really sounds good. You're right about that. That does sound good. It's just not biblical. Did you know that under the law, you could not, according to the law, on the Sabbath, you were not allowed to travel over three quarters of a mile. You were to bear no type of burden. You were not supposed to gather any manna. You could not kindle a fire. No type of labor was to happen on the Sabbath, and there was absolutely no buying and no selling. And so most people that say, we keep the Sabbath, most don't. Because if you're going to keep the law, you got to keep it all. And so we see that distinction, that display, that discrepancy. I'm just going to give you this, and I'm going to go the last. I'm going to go the last one tonight. Number four, history proves a disorder. Now, what's the disorder? And, that, and go back and study this out in the Gospels. But you know what our Bible tells us? God created the Sabbath, and the Sabbath was created so man could stop and reflect on what God had done and what God is. The disorder came about when they, they stopped worshiping God on the Sabbath and they started worshiping the Sabbath. <laughs> so the main thing under the Jewish culture, the main thing was no longer the God of the Sabbath. The main thing was the Sabbath. That's why when Jesus came on the scene and he began to heal some folks on the Sabbath, that's why the Pharisees were irate. I mean, they were just livid that he would do something on the Sabbath day. And, and Jesus, that's where Jesus said, listen, if your ox falls in the ditch on the Sabbath, do you not at least pull your ox out of the ditch on the Sabbath? And yet they were so angry at Jesus because he did some type of a good work on the Sabbath. And here was the problem. They, they totally forgot what the Sabbath was all about. And so there was a disorder. We're done tonight. But look at this. Number five, New Testament Christians celebrate a difference. A difference. The Israelite people were to obey the ceremonial law of God and keep the Sabbath. But church, listen to this. We that are New Testament Christians meet on the first day of the week. Because our Savior died, was buried, and was resurrected on that first day of the week. And ever since that time, New Testament Christianity has worshiped on Sunday. Now, let me show it to you. Take your Bibles and we'll turn just a few places. We're done, we're done tonight. John chapter 20 in your Bibles. And look at verse number 19. John chapter 20, verse number 19. Gospel of John. John 20, verse 19. The Bible says, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, that's Sunday, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, peace be unto you. Now, 
You say, okay, pastor, all right, I'll give you that. But what happened after that? Well, I want you to turn to the right, just a few pages, and I want you to find your place to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20 and verse number seven. Acts chapter 20 and verse number seven. And by the way, read, read the book of Acts and you'll find this over and over and over again. Acts chapter 20, verse number seven. The Bible says, and upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow and continued his speech until midnight. Let me show you at least one other place. How about 1 Corinthians chapter 16 in your Bibles tonight and we're done. 1 Corinthians 16 and look at verse number two. 1 Corinthians 16 and verse number two. The Bible says, upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. And so the first day, the first day, the first day is when New Testament Christianity began to worship. Well, some of you, some of you read some of Dr. McGee's stuff and I found this. Uh, Dr. J. Vernon McGee told the story about a man who wanted to argue about the Sabbath day. And the man said this to Dr. McGee. He said, I'll give you $100 if you'll show me where the Sabbath day has changed. Dr. McGee answered, I don't think it has changed. Saturday is Saturday. It's the seventh day of the week and it's the, the Sabbath day. The man got a gleam in his eye and said, then why don't you keep the Sabbath day if it hasn't been changed? Dr. J. Vernon McGee responded, the day hasn't changed, but I've been changed. I've been given a new nature now. I'm joined to Christ. I'm a part of the new creation. And we celebrate the first day because that's the day that Jesus rose from the grave. And so I hope that made sense to you tonight. Why we don't observe the Sabbath at Calvary. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Thank you so much that we can come together on a Wednesday night and study the Bible together. Father, what a joy. Lord, thank you that there's not a question that this Bible cannot answer. We may have to study. We may have to rightly divide it. But Lord, there's not a question that this wonderful supernatural book cannot answer. Lord, I pray that you've answered some questions tonight. Father, thank you that we get to come together on Sundays and worship our Heavenly Father. Lord, thank you that we get to come together and sing together, hear teaching together, preaching. God, we just appreciate you allowing us to be a part of your church. Father, I pray what we've said tonight has pleased you. And I pray that what we've said has made sense tonight. And I pray that we'll go away from this place blessed because we came. We love you, Lord, and we praise you, Lord. In Jesus' name, our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Right before we go tonight, right before we go, I wonder if there might be one here this evening who would say, preacher, if I died tonight, I'm not sure I would go to heaven. And I want you to remember me in prayer. Is there anybody can I pray for you tonight? Pastor, if I died, I'm not sure of heaven. I want you to pray for me. I care enough to slip up my hand and say, preacher, pray. You're like that tonight. You slip your hand up. I see that small hand. Is there another? Preacher, if I died tonight, I am not sure 
that I would go to heaven. Would you pray with me? Right now, you'd slip your hand up. Come on, be honest. I see that hand. Thank you so much. I appreciate your honesty. Is there somebody else? Pastor, if I died, I'm not sure of heaven. Preacher, I am sure of this. I'm sure I want to go. I'm sure I want to go to heaven. I'm sure I don't want to go to hell. But preacher, I'm just not sure I would go. I'm not sure I would go to heaven. And I want you to pray for me. Is there another anywhere? Can I pray for you? I know this is a Wednesday night. But I want to tell you something. A Wednesday night's a good night to get saved. Oh, it's a good night. Anybody else? All right. We already have some that are in the altar. Would you stand with us tonight with our heads bowed? I'm going to ask our personal workers if they would just real quietly tiptoe down to the altar tonight. And in just a moment, in just a moment, Brother Abel's going to play through this song, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound. And if you're here tonight and you raised your hand and said, Pastor, I'm not sure of heaven, I'm going to invite you to come, okay? And we would love to take the Bible and show you how you can know that you know that you know that you're going to heaven when you die. I hope you'll come. Just say, preacher, I don't know about I don't know about coming by myself. Listen, I promise you, if you'll just the per, whoever's beside you, if you'll just look over to them and say, listen, I need to go down. I need to go down there. Would you go with me? Would you go with me? I'll promise you, they'll go with you. They'll be glad to go with you. So, Father, I pray tonight. Holy Spirit, that you would bless. Lord, what a good night this would be for somebody to know that they know that they know they're going to heaven when they die. And so, Lord, I pray tonight you'd work in hearts. Spirit of God, I pray you'd draw folks to you tonight. And I pray, Lord, that when everybody leaves this place tonight, they'll leave knowing that they know that they're saved, born again, on their way to heaven. Father, help us to realize Jesus may come tonight. He may come tonight. God, I pray you'd help them to come. And then, Lord, maybe there are those here tonight that, like some have done tonight, just need to come and pray. Lord, I pray that you'd have your way in this invitation. Speak to hearts, please, and we thank you in Jesus' name. And our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. I'm going to make my way to the main floor as well, just right up here in front of the pulpit. And if you're here tonight and you have any need at all, it might be salvation, it might be a burden, it might be something you just need somebody to pray with you about something, hey, we're going to invite you to come right now, okay? We're going to pause just for a moment, and we want to invite you to come, and we would love to help you tonight. You come while we wait.